Hi everyone, my name's Karen Sims and you've tuned into My Cousin Has That by Monash University. We are looking at future directions in autoimmune disease and treatments and cures. And we have a fabulous guest today, which is terrific. But before we introduce her, I'll say hello to Dr. Julie Monk. How are you, Julie? I'm very well, Karen. Yourself? That's good. I'm not bad, thank you. A bit chilly, but that's all. And Associate Professor Joshua Uwe, how are you? I'm good, thank you. That's good. Okay, so we have Dr. Stephanie Freyd on the line today. We are very grateful for her giving up her time. How are you, Stephanie? Hi, everyone. Yes, I'm well, thank that you. That is good to hear. So, Stephanie... We would like to hear your autoimmune journey. Could you start by telling us how you were diagnosed? Yes. Okay. I'm going to take you back to around 2008. I was in grade year or year 11 mm-hmm. of high school. And I remember I was sitting my preliminary exams and mm-hmm. I was always studious. I love studying. So I was studying really hard and I was just so tired and I, again, just thought it was because I was studying so hard, Mm -hmm. but um, the tiredness just got worse and worse day by day and I was bleeding quite a lot and this was not normal, so I told my parents. Sorry, Stephanie, we just missed the vital word. What were you doing a lot? Um, I was bleeding. Bleeding. Okay, sorry. The phone just dropped out for a sec. Okay, you were bleeding quite a lot, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I was bleeding quite a lot, yes, and I told my parents and, yeah, they said, this isn't normal, let's take you to a doctor. Mm -hmm. And there I went to just my local GP Mm -hmm. who, you know, took a look at me and said, yeah, this isn't right, we've got to get you to a hospital. So I went to, I got, yeah, transported to a hospital and, yeah, like I said, I was just excessively bleeding. And when they ran all the tests in the hospital, yeah, I was severely anemic. And they also started to detect that my platelets were really low. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a long time, so excuse my memory. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, so all I remember at the time was, yeah, I'm getting rushed to hospital. They're giving me infusions. I think I had about four to five bags of blood. Mm-hmm. Goodness. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it was just all sort of a big blur and yeah, they were trying to stop the bleeding and yeah, we're trying to work out what was going wrong. And then at that time, they weren't sure if I had leukemia. Mm-hmm. So they were sort of bouncing around that diagnosis at the time. And then I think after a week or so, they sort of put it down to immune thrombocytopenia or idiopathic thrombocytopenia. Mm-hmm. And that was that. And the sad part of all this is I was in year 11 and I actually couldn't sit my preliminary exam. So mm-hmm. I was quite upset about that yeah. at the time. And I also had a trip to Fiji planned. Oh, goodness. That had to be cancelled. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, really, really sad time. And I, look, probably sugarcoating it, but I was really, really sick. I was extremely unwell. Mm-hmm. I was pale as a ghost. Yeah, so that's when it all started. Mm-hmm. I'll keep going. Yeah, yeah, please do. Yeah, Yeah. so that's 2008. And then I got put on a lot of medications. Again, I can't remember what all they were at the time, but I remember prednisone was definitely up there and I was mm-hmm. in my high doses. Mm-hmm. So there I was, went home, back to recovery. My whole last year of high school was really tough. I was tired all the time. I was on prednisone, so my mental state was just all over the place. It just, I found the drugs really affected me. 
and I was seeing my hematologist mm-hmm. every month or every two weeks at some points and they were really closely monitoring me for the whole year. And yeah, so that was sort of all my year 12. I think I was 18 or something. Yeah. And then I went to my hematologist one day and said, I've actually got really bad joint pain in my hands. Mm-hmm. I was struggling to hold a cup, a kettle, and yeah, I just thought, this is strange. I'm 18 years old. Mm-hmm. What's going on? And then she pretty much took one look at me and said, I think you've got lupus. Mm-hmm. And there I went and ran all the tests and it came back that I had, yeah, systemic lupus erythematosus. Right. And that they were blood tests that diagnosed yeah, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was, yeah, blood tests and quite specific blood tests and also coupled with my mum had a diagnosis of scleroderma. So I remember when I was sitting in the consult room, mum always came with me. She Mm -hmm. was always by my side and we were sitting in the room and, you know, the blood episode a year ago, the joint pain that just started to creep up over that, you know, former couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And then my mum having scleroderma, that's, I think she just sort of was like, I think you've, you know, she, yeah, thought I had lupus and the bloods came back and it was. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where it all began. So around 2008, and I was, yeah, 17, 18 years yeah, old. Yeah, that's very time. tough. And and thank you for being so frank about your sadness. That must have been awful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can imagine at that, yeah, that point of your life when you're meant to be going out and Yeah, I'm supposed to be partying. invincible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very sad and unfortunate. Yeah. So yeah. you went on to uni though, didn't you? I did. I did. So after year 12, I... I started to accept what was going on, I remember, and I wanted to be quite positive about it. And I thought, yep, I'm going to go to university. And I always loved sport and exercise. And I was quite interested in science Mm -hmm. and especially with what was happening with me. So I thought, I'm going to do an exercise and sports science degree. So I did. I went to the Australian Catholic University and I did a bachelor's of exercise Mm -hmm. and sports Mm -hmm. science. And then, yeah, I pushed through that. And I, again, I remember going through most of my uni, having to see the hematologist and the rheumatologist quite regularly. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn how to pace myself over those years because I was dealing with a brand new diagnosis. It was scary. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. I, again, was put on more medication at Mm -hmm. the time and yeah, so I battled through that bachelor's degree, but graduated and finished yep, that degree. Good on so you. That was good. <laughs> and you, you even did a PhD, Stephanie. I did. Well, yeah. So after the bachelor's degree, I actually went and did a master's of exercise physiology. So the bachelor's was three years, and then the master's was a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So yeah, four and a half years straight, and I graduated as a accredited exercise physiologist in 2013. And then, yeah, I've got quite a long story before the PhD starts. So if you want me to keep going, Absolutely. We love love people's stories. (laughs) All right. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sort of doing it as a timeline so everyone can keep up. Sure. So diagnosed in 2008, that's when I graduated high school, did my three-year bachelor's, master's, 2013, here I am. I got my first job as an exercise physiologist straight after I graduated and I was in that job for two years. I built up from sort of part-time hours to full-time. Mm-hmm. 
And again, that was something that I negotiated with my boss at the time. You know, I sort of said, I have systemic lupus. I don't know how it's going to affect me, but I know that I have to take care of myself. And so, you know, I slowly built up my hours to full time over those years. And I had a very... What an exercise physiologist does, like who are your, do you call them clients or patients? So an exercise physiologist is a allied health professional who specializes in exercise for people with chronic disease and or musculoskeletal injuries. So the first job that I landed was actually in a physiotherapy private practice. And it was a model of care where we had physiotherapists and exercise physiologists. And it was mostly for musculoskeletal injury and conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so that was... So you knew a lot about it as a person and as a professional. How did you end up doing a PhD? Had I ended up doing a PhD? As I said, there's a process. So after my first exercise physiology job, after two years, yeah, I had a supportive team. I looked after myself with lupus, but there was definitely days in there. And I look back now in hindsight, I remember I would get home from a long 12-hour shift and I was so sore in my joints and I just, I didn't know. I thought it was just because I was on my feet and I was working Mm -hmm. with people Mm -hmm. and I was always really tired. And again, I just thought it was, you know, full-time job, nothing to worry about. Yeah, so I do recall over those two years working that I was up and down. But anyway, after the two years, I said to my boss, I want a break. I want to go traveling for six months. So, They said, great, go travel, go explore the world. Would love to have you back when you get back. So I said, great. And here I was. I took off to South and Central America. This was in 2015. And yeah, I had a great time. I was traveling. I started in sort of, um, where did I start? Peru and Argentina. And I did the Inca Trail. Oh, Goodness yeah. gracious, that yeah. is a mighty fine effort. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't letting lupus stop me, that's for sure. So I, I was backpacking, you know, we were hiking, we were staying up late, we were having a great time. Yeah, and then I landed in Mexico and my husband now, he was partner at the time, <laughs> he met me in Mexico and I was starting to feel really, really unwell, like the most unwell that I've ever felt with lupus before. Mm-hmm. I was extremely sore. My joints were crippling with pain and I was just popping Nurofen to get by through the days and I was swelling up. I think I gained about 10 kilos. So yeah, tired, headaches, joint pain, putting on weight. Then I started to get really, really bad back pain. Can I just interrupt for a sec? So you didn't eat food to the value of 10 kilos? Was it, flu- was it fluid? Yes. Okay. So mm-hmm. I thought it was food and so did my husband. <laughs> <laughs> They're so mean, aren't they? Yeah. Like, Should wow, you really you be eating did. that? Yeah. He's like, you had... So I spent the first two months without him. I was with one of my best friends mm-hmm. and then he met me after the two months. So... Uh, you know, he looked at me and was like, oh, wow, you've, um, you've enjoyed yourself. <laughs> you've <filled out> a bit. <laughs> and again, I was a bit oblivious. I thought, oh, you know, wow, maybe it is a South American food, you know. So, you know, the point here is that I want to make, you know, and I can't help my science brain here talking as well That's as a not, patient. Yeah. But I look back and there were so many symptoms and signs that I was having that I just 
you know, kept going, oh, it's just the food. Oh, it's just the traveling. You know, it's it's all fine. I'll just keep taking Nurofen and, and keep going because I'm a fighter and I'm young. But, you know, it got to a point where I was so bad mm-hmm. and because I studied exercise physiology, I had some idea about anatomy and, you know, disease. I thought, this really sounds like my kidneys are being attacked. Oh, goodness. In uh, Mexico. mm, I was in Guatemala. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So, look, I think this is a really important message here is that, yeah, it's so important for other young women out there or anyone to read your symptoms. And, you know, at this point, I might have left it a little bit too late, but I got it in the end. I called a doctor. It was just like a GP that one of our tour guides told me about where they come to your hostel. Mm -hmm. So I had a GP come to visit me in my room. And again, he ran a couple of tests. He asked me questions. And I was quite fortunate because this particular GP knew a lot about lupus. And I remember he said to me, he said, I looked at you and I could tell straight away that you had lupus nephritis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... I was in Antigua Mm -hmm. and he said, I need to get you to Guatemala City to see a rheumatologist and get some bloods as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. So here we go. He gets me in his car, me and my husband. We jump in the car. He literally drives us. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, service, huh? (laughs) So drives us to Guatemala City. It was like a two-hour drive because of the traffic. I'm freaking out. I was so, so scared. Yeah, I was Um, just going to ask, how scared were you? I would have been petrified. I really was petrified. Yeah, and so was my husband. Yeah, so anyway, we get to Guatemala City, get out of the car, go to the rheumatologist, (laughs) and there's something that he said to me that I will never, ever forget. So I was on a six-month trip. This is three months into the Mm -hmm. trip, by the way. So we had planned for six. Anyway, I sit down in his consult room and I think the doctors just knew straight away before even running any tests that I had lupus nephritis. Mm -hmm. And he just said to me, if you were my daughter, I would want you back home right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Can you imagine the fear? Yeah. Yeah. And (sighs) flying in itself, you know, it's a very long journey home. Yep. So anyway, so he ran the tests and put me in a hospital. So Again, drove me back to Antigua. (laughs) (laughs) The GP's with me the whole time. They're like, I don't know, it must be a different system for travellers where the GPs just kind of like chauffeur you around. No, I I think you just got a very good one. (laughs) A very kind man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So he drives us back to Antigua and checked me into a hospital. And here I am talking about all this, right? But I can't emphasize enough that. In this moment, I was on a tour, one of those like intrepid tours or mm-hmm, something, mm-hmm. and my best friend was still there. I had made friends on the tour and the tour guide, and we had to go back to the hostel, and I sort of had to say to everyone, I'm sorry, like we have to end our trip now, and I've got to go to hospital. So I was devastated, and mm, so, was, so yeah. was my husband. Naturally. So we had to like say goodbye to this whole trip. We were just about to go to Belize mm-hmm. the very next day. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anyone knows Belize, but it's islands. Mm. So I would have been stuck. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And probably wouldn't have made it, to be honest. So anyway, I say goodbye to everyone. I'm scared. I'm upset. And here I go checking, get admitted to a hospital, a beautiful little private 
hospital in Antigua, Guatemala. Anyway, they ran more tests. They put me on medication. But again, my understanding of lupus back then is very different to what it is now. So I look back and I can't even recall what medication I got put on. Mm -hmm. I think looking back now when I, you know, remember, I think they put me on like immunosuppressive medication. They put me on more prednisone. They put me on a whole bunch of things to lower my blood pressure, cholesterol and everything else. So anyway, and as I was in the hospital, I think I was there for three or four nights and every day the same GP kept calling me. (laughs) He was very nice. He took very good care of me and my husband. And I never forget every time that phone rang, I just could not pick it up because every time he spoke to me, there was more bad news about Um, what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. So keeping in mind in 2008, I went into that immune um, idiopathic thrombocytopenia where I lost a lot of blood. So he picks up the phone while I'm checked into the hospital and he says, look, I'm really sorry to sort of give you this news, but your blood is dropping. And yeah, so I was falling back into that episode where I was losing a lot of blood. Mm -hmm. And here I am overseas. My kidneys are failing. I'm losing blood. My lungs were being attacked as well. So I started to develop a really bad cough. So I was getting um, yeah, inflammation in my lungs. My eyes were starting, I don't actually know what it was, but my eyes were becoming like a bit bloodshot. Mm -hmm. My joints, again, were in extreme pain. Yeah. So just trying to remember, but There was a lot happening. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. And then he sort of said to me, look, we need to give you a kidney biopsy, but we don't actually have the facilities available for that. And they needed to know exactly what was happening in my kidneys. And so, and he said to me, if we don't treat this, your kidneys are going to fail. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Were you so unwell that you couldn't actually get on a plane and come back to Australia? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. This is sort of the next part of the fear factor is, um, yeah, I was there in hospital and my blood pressure was so high that I couldn't get on a plane. And yeah, I was at risk of blood clotting or something like that. So they had to try and regulate my blood pressure and get me to a point where I was safe enough to fly back home. And the other thing to consider is they also weren't able to discharge me until I had paid yeah. Um, okay. yeah. I was yeah. thinking about the travel insurance <laughs> question. Yes. Yeah, and unfortunately, travel insurance does take a couple of days to kick in. Yeah. So fortunately, I'm in contact with all my family back home and, you know, my sisters and my mom and dad and everyone was trying to figure out a way to transfer the money to the hospital and to the GP. So I think they managed to do that after a couple of days and the doctors got my blood pressure to a point where they were comfortable enough for me to fly and they gave me an injection, yeah, and then sort of sent me off to the airport. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, that was sort of the end of the Antigua and then I get on a flight from Antigua to LA. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can imagine how uncomfortable and scary that was for me. So, yeah, I fly. And then when we get to LA, I have this big 10-hour layover again, adding to my fear of, are my kidneys failing right now? Is the injection they gave me going to go out of my system? 
So I think on the second flight from LA to home, the injection had run out and I didn't have a top up. So they just sort of took the risk and I got home and got picked up from the airport. My family just greeted me with, as you can imagine, big open arms. And home was Sydney? Home was Sydney. And I had mom and sisters and everyone was there. And they rushed me straight to the hospital when I got in. And yeah, got into the hospital the next day, got my kidney biopsy, and there was my diagnosis of lupus nephritis stage four. Oh. Mm. Yeah. September 2015. <laughs> so I was 24 years old at the time. Oh, gosh. And your yeah. poor husband, he must have been Oh, yeah. So Let's stressed. not forget him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Oh, he was, he was terrified. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and felt, you know, completely helpless. Yes. But he kept me safe. He really did. And more than anything, he kept me sane because I was so scared. So he really, really supported me through the whole experience. And I am so grateful. And so are my family. Yeah, yeah. terrific. Yeah. So you mentioned yeah. your mom and your sisters. Can yeah. you talk about them, please? Yeah. So my mom was diagnosed with scleroderma many, many years ago. I'm going to say about, at this point in time, about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago when you were 24? No, 20 from years now. now. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So when mom got diagnosed with scleroderma, I was about 12 years old, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So, you know, naturally, I had no idea what it was. You know, neither did anyone in my family. It's so rare and... You know, I was quite young, so I can't recall a lot of those memories from back then. But all I know is mum was so scared. And I remember she was always upset about it. And, you know, she just got diagnosed with a disease that nobody knows about. So I remember she was feeling very isolated. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, as I got older, and I think when I got diagnosed with lupus, mum and I just developed such a strong bond Mm -hmm. because we we just shared a very similar disease and you know we used to share similar symptoms over the years and yeah it was something that mum and I really bonded over and we always understood each other Mm -hmm. which is really special yeah she sounds lovely yeah and we lost mum in 2018 Unfortunately, you know, mum's scleroderma was quite progressive and she was put on a lot of immunosuppressive medication over her course of disease. And then she developed cancer. Mm -hmm. And the cancer was very short-lived. So I really don't talk about it too much, to be honest, because it was scleroderma that my mum lived and battled for 14 years. Mm -hmm. She only had cancer for about two and a half weeks, to be honest. Right. I'm very sorry. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, that's um, yeah, really, really sad. And back to the question about my PhD, it was this moment in my life that sparked my drive to do my PhD. That's lovely. Lovely legacy for your mum. Yeah. What was your PhD about? Like, What was the title or the purpose of your PhD? Yeah, so my PhD was about exercise for people living with scleroderma and lupus or, or lupus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so you you had an exercise program for people you were treating? I 
really wanted to raise awareness mm-hmm. about scleroderma and lupus and I wanted to learn everything about these two diseases to help me, to help others living with the disease and to really understand what mum went through. Mm-hmm. And of course, naturally, I'm an exercise physiologist. I wanted to explore if exercise had any potential to help improve the lives of people living with these two diseases. So I did my whole PhD through COVID. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to do everything that I wanted to do. But the silver lining was I got to do a lot of qualitative research where I got to speak to people and hear their story, just like I'm sharing mine. Mm -hmm. So I got to speak to a lot of people and hear about their experiences and views around exercise. And then I managed to get a telehealth exercise intervention in for people with lupus. What were some of the themes that came through your qualitative research? I'll start with the scleroderma group. So I did some focus groups. So it it was a group conversation and a lot of people said that they had a lot of barriers to engaging in exercise. So things like disease-related. So a lot of people with scleroderma get what's called Raynaud's phenomenon when they don't get a lot of circulation to hands and feet. So, you know, struggles to engage in exercise because of the temperature and because of some of the musculoskeletal manifestations like curling of the fingers, Mm -hmm. tightening of the skin, that is also another barrier to engaging in exercise and not to mention ulcers on their feet. Okay. Yeah, makes it really difficult to do exercise. So they were sort of barriers. And then, of course, lack of motivation, Mm -hmm. lack of time, cost of exercise. And then, you know, they also mentioned that exercise is very beneficial to them. It makes them feel better mentally. It helps with you know, joint stiffness and muscle soreness. Some even said it helps them sleep better, eat better. So there was definitely some positives. Mm -hmm. And something that came out as well, a really strong theme was that a lot of people expressed their view about how exercise is very different for them with scleroderma than it was before they were diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, they used to say things like, You know, I would play sport, I would go running and I would do all those things before I got scleroderma. But now I can't do those things anymore. Mm. Which is very confronting, isn't it? Very confronting, yeah. Mm. And there's one thing to be doing exercise because you enjoy it. It's another thing to do it because you feel like you should. Absolutely. The qualitative research is of interest to us because we talk a lot about the fatigue of autoimmune diseases and, you know, how I could say I'm tired and you could say you're tired, but who's the most tired? You know, how do we measure (laughs) tiredness, you know? And so with a qualitative study the way you've done it, it, it's interesting to get those qualitative answers. So in terms of, you know, the differences in studying, the differences in fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in terms of fatigue... That was a stronger theme with the lupus participants. Mm -hmm. Uh, It still came across in the responses from people with scleroderma, but with people with lupus, it tends to be really problematic. And this is an outcome that I measured in my telehealth exercise study. Mm -hmm. So I got people to do exercise on Zoom. So it was live. I could watch them. They could watch me. 
and we met twice a week and I measured fatigue before the intervention and after the intervention using two different quantitative outcome measures and fatigue improved, which is really nice, you know, nice outcome. Yeah, it sure is. So the exercise, was it similar to Pilates? It was functional exercises mm-hmm. that were using body weight and some resistance bands. Yeah. And inside in a room. Yep, just mm-hmm. in their home environment. Yep. So mm-hmm. people exercise in their bedroom, in their lounge room, yeah, mm-hmm. wherever they had space. Mm-hmm. And how many people were on the study? We had 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So two groups one group of eight that did the exercise intervention, and another group of seven that were the control arm that we were comparing mm-hmm. to. Yep. And all during a pandemic, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It was right during the lockdowns in Sydney that we had. Yeah. It could have been amazing for them, really, to have, you know, your support and contact and smile twice a week during a pandemic. <laughs> no wonder yeah. they felt less tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and even being, you know, supported, like having somebody interested in in them would have been beneficial, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And they did say that when we interviewed, one of the themes was that they really liked exactly that, having someone give them the attention and just chat to them twice a week for 45 minutes and really just watching them do the exercise, it, it helped with that motivation. I'm sure that's key because if it was a pre-record or something, they could have had a little snooze and <laughs> not told you. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm. Would you like to talk about your sisters? You don't have to if you don't want to. Yeah, sure. So I guess the story with my sisters is, you know, for a long time, it was only me out of my, um, the three of us. So I was the only daughter with an autoimmune disease Mm -hmm. and my two sisters didn't have anything. And then just recently, so I think about two, three years ago, my elder sister was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and then years passed and then she got a double. She got diagnosed with celiac disease as well. And then my other sister, she, as of about a month ago, got diagnosed with celiac disease. Right, right. So and definitely yeah, in and our as you family. Know, they, yeah, they often come together. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. That's quite distressing. I'm very sorry. Yeah, mm. so we're, we're a family um, mum and then all three girls mm. got um, mm. an autoimmune disease, yeah. It's not good being a statistic, is it? <laughs> no, nope. not not that kind of statistic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I don't look. I don't. I can't speak on behalf of my sister with rheumatoid arthritis about how she copes. But you know, I do hear from her, and sometimes she she's still learning about rheumatoid arthritis. Sure. And she does say to me, you know, like I just have days where I can't leave the couch, mm. and I'm so tired. My joints feel really achy. So I do hear her from time to time saying that. And then I always, we always sort of share that experience because I share similar feelings every so often yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting with relationships where two people are unwell because you don't want to turn it into a pity party, but you also <laughs> do need that support, you know, and sometimes a fine line, you might not want to talk about it, but your sister might need to or vice versa. I think uh, you're probably a great support to each other, but it, yeah. I'm sure it can be stressful at times. And, of course, unfortunately, there are people who do like the pity party and (laughs) they're not good. (laughs) They're hard work. How are you coping now, Stephanie, since the incident in Antigua? Are you doing okay now? 
Yeah, thanks for asking. Look, it took me, honestly, a good couple of years to adapt. And I didn't say this when I shared my story earlier, but the mental load that it took on me when I got home and got diagnosed with lupus nephritis, I was absolutely shattered. Mm. You know, I look back now because it's been seven years, but I was 24 years old. I was at a prime time of my life. And all I was hearing from all the doctors around me and all the people around me was, you know, Stephanie, you can't do this, you can't do that. I couldn't go out in the sun because the sun is one of the biggest oh. triggers for lupus. So I had to walk out of the house covered from head to toe, no skin exposed. You should come down to Melbourne. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have sun anymore. <laughs> You're welcome to gray, come Grey, grey all the way. <laughs> um, yes. Sorry to be so dense. Yes. Why does the sun trigger lupus? Yeah, look... It's the UV rays. Oh, so right. what I learned over those years was that, yeah, the UV ray burns your skin cells and mm-hmm. then that triggers often an immune response. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because I was so vulnerable at the time, it was very important for me to just stay away from the sun just to avoid any triggers to the immune system. But also there are people out there with lupus that are photosensitive, mm-hmm. which I'm not. So some people go out into the sun and break out in a red rash. Mm-hmm. And so people with lupus who experience that symptom, it's even more vital that they don't see the sun. Yeah. But for me now, like now I can go out in the sun and I'll be okay. I just need to slip, slop, slap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like very much so. Like everybody else should, mm. but yeah. I, I have to be very conscious yeah, about that. Because, yeah. If, yeah, if I'm out in the sun for a day, if I go have a day out on the beach... That night, I will suffer. I will have joint pain, headache, and be extremely fatigued the next day. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. You've got a compelling reason to stay out of the sun. Are you still on medication? Like, do you need to be on immunosuppressants still? Not anymore. So, as of about a year ago, I finally came off my immune suppressants. So, as you can hear, that's 2015 all the way up until... I think it was like maybe 2021 around, it was around the COVID time that I came off it. It was very, very strong after the diagnosis of nephritis. And then over a course of five, five and a half years, they weaned me down. I was also on prednisone and honestly, I was on 13 tablets a day. (laughs) Yeah, I can't even remember. There was just so much that I was on. But now, fortunately, I'm only on one medication which is for life and that's hydrochloroquine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is that the anti-malaria drug? It is, yeah. 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 <laughs> it was the one that went a little bit vocal during COVID. Exactly. I was on a tiny <laughs> island and I came across some American men looking for that drug because they were sure it was going to um, not, if they took it, they weren't going to get COVID. It was like a, yeah. They considered it to be some kind of vaccine. But it's been disproved, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, they, they bought it from a man on the street, so um, I'm sure it was perfectly okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, no. But, but look, thanks to that, it took me going to like three to four chemists yeah, that's to the, find that yeah, medication. Exactly. Mm. That's yeah. very upsetting when if, people who yeah. don't need it are taking it and are taking it for the wrong reason. Absolutely. And, and it wasn't just yeah. me. There was mm. I was on like social media, like Facebook groups with lupus and even scleroderma and some people with rheumatoid arthritis. And 
none of us could get the medication yeah. and we were all, yeah. we're all panicking and mm. Yeah, so anyway. <laughs> yeah. We heard of a lady the other day who hasn't been able to get her eye drops for three years. Oh, gosh. Yeah, just very distressing. Yeah. yeah, it is, especially, you know, when I had my nephritis episode in 2015, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I actually wasn't on any medication before I um, got that. Why are you embarrassed? I, because I decided that I was invincible and yeah. didn't need medicine. <laughs> Lots of us make those mistakes. I think you can be forgiven for that little mistake. Yeah. So, you know, I, a lesson learned for me, and again, mm-hmm. I said this earlier, but something that I want, that I wanted to really emphasize in my PhD and now in my career is to teach people with these diseases, to educate you know, people with these diseases, the importance of these medications mm-hmm. or the importance of reading your signs and symptoms because, you know, incidences like this can happen and yeah. they're very real and they can change your life because it's certainly changed mine. Mm-hmm. So I think you're a brilliant advocate for everyone with lupus, Stephanie. You're doing a fine job. Thank you. Thank you. It took some time and, I'm again, I'm not going to sugarcoat it because I was really struggling especially that first year after nephritis because I had to change my life. Like I said, I couldn't go in the sun. Yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't work. I think I doctor's orders was like take six months to a year off. So, you know, fortunately I was living with mum and dad at the time. So mm. financially I was okay, but, mm. you know, I wasn't earning money. I wasn't. Yeah, you weren't living the life that you thought you'd be no. living at that stage. Yeah, that change no. and yeah. and shock are very real, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, and then living with the fear of the unknown, you know, am I going to flare again? Yes. Yeah. Am I going to die? Is my kidneys going to fail? Can I ever have children? Yeah. That's something that I'm struggling with now. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. How is um, having children is a big one. How, and you don't have to answer this, I realise it's incredibly personal, but <laughs> yeah, you and your husband, how how is that? being discussed or are you very accepting that this might not be something that you will have in the future? Yeah, no, it's a very real question and I'm happy to answer it because I think a lot of people with lupus would face the same questions. But for those five and a half years that I was on immunosuppressant medication, I was told by the doctors and they stressed this point was that you cannot have an unplanned pregnancy because the medications that I was taking were very strong Mm -hmm. and could harm baby, could harm me. So, you know, that was really tough in a relationship. Again, fortunately, I have a a very, very supportive husband, so it really wasn't too tough for us. But, you know, it was just the feelings, the nerve-wracking feelings of, you know, I can't have unplanned pregnancies. We have to be extra careful. Mm -hmm. And... You know, once I got off the medications, my doctor said it will take about three months to clear out of your system and then, you know, you're reasonably safe to have a pregnancy. But please let me know when you're planning it because we need to take precautions. Mm -hmm. And I was at a conference on the weekend, um, a rheumatology conference, and one of the talks was actually about this. And it was a whole presentation about the importance for women who have had lupus nephritis to tell their doctors so that they can plan accordingly and take, for example, aspirin to reduce the risk of preeclampsia and gestational diabetes. 
So, you know, yeah, it's definitely on my mind and I'm honest, I'm scared. I'm mm-hmm. scared that my lupus will flare again. I'm scared that, I don't know, put baby at risk. Mm. Yeah, so it, it is scary, but I'm trying to do the right things now and I'm telling my doctors when I'm ready and, yeah, doing everything I possibly can to make sure it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. You're also a good advocate for yourself, looking after yourself, which is very good. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for your time today. We've really enjoyed learning about your story. You've had a rough trot and you've just been amazing throughout. And thank you also for advocating for your clients. I think they'll be very lucky, even if you do make them exercise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a country. You know, it sounds contraindicating exercise, fatigue, how do they work? But I can assure you, it does make you feel better. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just being silly. I, I, I'm being forced to agree with you, but it's Look, true. I think Maybe a better word is movement. Move, movement, yeah. yeah. Keep it moving. Maybe we should put Karen in for a session. Yeah. Just turn the camera around the other way so I can have a little snooze. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. And congratulations thank you, on your PhD. I think yeah. you just finished. So yeah. It's hard for yeah. anybody to do a PhD and you're just amazing. Yeah. Thank you very yeah. much. It was a tough one, but I got there in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Congrats, Stephanie. Take care. Thank you very much. Thanks for taking the time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you to Julie and Josh for answering those curly questions and to you, our listeners. We're here because of you and hope you enjoyed the podcast.